Awaken podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Awaken. Uh, for those of you where my face might be new or my voice might be new on the podcast, I am Jenna. I am the executive pastor here at Awaken. Uh, and I have been relatively absent over these last couple months from the podcast. Um, but I'm here now, and I'm really glad, um, I don't know, to be saying hello. Um, since I was doing the welcome and announcements this morning, we'll be hearing from Mel later on uh, in the teaching, but I got to take on this first part. Um, I wanted to take an opportunity to maybe lend my voice as well to some of the heaviness um, over these past few weeks with the murder, murder of George Floyd um, and our learning about Breonna Taylor and Ahmed Arbery. Um, for so many, this grief is not new um, because racism is not new. Uh, unjust loss of life is not new. Um, and for those of you in this community uh, who have been nursing to and tending familiar wounds over these past weeks, all of God's soothing and comfort to you, um, to places that uh, I will never fully understand. Um, for those of you who are maybe newer uh, or brand new, uh, or uncovering new places of uh, grief and a feeling of weight. Um, yeah, and, and maybe seeing new realities uh, for the first time. I want to invite you uh, to transformative work of what it means to be white and what that means for others. Um, as I have been on social media these past couple weeks, like many of us have been. Um, what I have noticed, not only in myself, um, but in my white brothers and sisters, is this um, almost disassociation um, of racism. Uh, maybe a, a trying to say, oh, but I'm a good white person. Um, and I understand that impulse because I have it too, and what I maybe want to invite us to is that disassociation um, to the places in us that maybe uh, look like racism or look like prejudice. Um, though it's hard, we maybe don't need to be so afraid of it because that's the journey and that's the work that not only when we see it outside of ourselves, but also inside of ourselves. And so I want to invite you to join me and join the staff in doing that work. Um, we have compiled um, some resources, some learning opportunities um, that we would like you to come with us on. So if you check your Awaken Weekly, um, there you'll see those opportunities for those of you who are in life groups. It's a great time to maybe take advantage of that connection. Um, like I said, there will be resources there if you want to do a book study together or um, a few other things. Uh, learning is a part of that work, and so we want to be pastoring you and walking with you on that. Um, the other thing, not related to this, 
uh, is we are going to be doing coffee delivery again uh, this month. So June 20th, uh, if you are interested, uh, I think it was just last month, we kind of felt like, how can we make people feel connected though we are apart? Uh, and one of the ideas that um, came into our laps was uh, we drink wildflower coffee on Sunday mornings. Um, Wildflyer is an organization that employs youth experiencing homelessness. Um, so we wanted to create an opportunity for you to have a cup of coffee in the morning um, in your own home, maybe like you would at church. So like I said, if you're interested in that, you can sign up in the Awaken Weekly or it will be on the Fireside page and that will be, you'll need to sign up by June 17th. Um, and then as, as we start this morning, I wanted to open uh, with a prayer from Howard Thurman, uh, Devotion Meditations of the Heart. I have read from this before, um, just my favorite. Uh, and there's a prayer in particular that I've returned to over the last five years, and I feel like I'm hearing it new again. Um, and I wanted it to maybe just open our time together. So this is called Give Me the Listening Ear. Give me the listening ear, the eye that is willing to see. Give me the listening ear. I seek this day the ear that will not shrink from the word that corrects and admonishes. The word that holds up before me the image of myself that causes me to pause and reconsider. The word that challenges me to deeper consecration and higher resolve. The word that lays bare needs that make my own days uneasy, that seizes upon every good, decent impulse of my nature, channeling it into paths of healing in the lives of others. Give me the listening ear. I seek this day the disciplined mind, the disciplined heart, the disciplined life, that makes my ear the focus of attention through which I may become mindful of expressions of life foreign to my own. I seek the stimulation that lifts me out of old ruts and established habits which keep me conscious of myself, my needs, my personal interests. Give me this day the eye that is willing to see the meaning of the ordinary, the familiar, the commonplace. The eye that is willing to see my own faults for what they are. The eye that is willing to see the likable qualities in those I may not like. The mistake in what I thought was correct. The strength in what I had labeled as weakness. Give me the eye that is willing to see that thou hast not left thyself without a witness in every living thing. Thus, to walk with reverence and sensitiveness through all the days of my life. Give me the listening ear, the eye that is willing to see. Amen. I come 
Okay, well, hello, everybody. Um, good morning, good evening, whenever it is that you're watching uh, this video recording or audio recording, listening to it. Um, it's good to be together with you, even though it is virtually. Um, today, my name is Melody. I'm the music and arts director here. So normally I'm in that spot um, over there, but uh, today I get the honor to uh, be in this spot and just kind of share some thoughts with you uh, this morning. I just want to say first how amazing and good it was uh, to be together last week for the Lament Gathering. For those of you that joined us, um, if you were there with us, it just was a very meaningful time. And I just want to say thank you um, for the way that you chose to engage in that space and for the expressions, the absolutely beautiful expressions that we saw um, posted to the door there. Um, I was literally blown away um, by what you all created and just the heart that you created it with. So thank you for showing up for that. Um, as Jenna was saying earlier, here we are, and it is about two and a half weeks after the murder of George Floyd. And it's just been, uh, it's been astounding to see how that event has literally shaken the earth, calling for a response from all of us. But as Jenna was also saying, uh, the reality is that people of color have been fighting that fight for hundreds of years. And many of us are just now seeing for the first time. So my prayer uh, is that this would not be a short-lived reaction to the energy of the moment but it would be an invitation to engage in the real, lasting, systemic change that we need, as well as personal transformation. I'm personally feeling very challenged and very charged to keep running the marathon that is ahead of us. Um, I know that a lot of you listening today have run marathons before, um, for, especially for World Vision, um, and you know what they feel like. I ran one back in 2012, and let me tell you, it is a long, arduous, grueling, at times boring and monotonous, painful journey. And there are many moments along the way that you just really want to give up. That's your biggest impulse is to quit. Um, so my prayer is that we as a community will be the voices in each other's ear along this marathon saying, don't quit, keep going, keep running the marathon ahead. Um, I also believe that what we do here in this space matters, that when we gather in song and in word, that it is a step in that marathon. So my prayer for today and in the days ahead is that when we are in community with one another, that we will become people who can just see even more clearly and work more diligently to create more, a more just society for all who inhabit it, especially our friends of color who have been denied justice for so long. Um, which brings me to the introduction of the series that we are uh, launching today. Um, it's a version of a series we often engage with in uh, the summer months here at Awaken called Lost in Translation. If you've been here in previous summers, um, you've heard some of these messages before. The heart or the purpose of uh, this series has been to take a second look at passages that um, maybe are well known or maybe not so well known uh, for us and for uh, uh, and for one e reason or another, many of these passages, um, maybe because of a lack of true exploration um, while being translated, have been misrepresented and misunderstood in modern Christianity. 
And those misrepresentations have often honestly stunted our transformations and um, caused us not to see clearly. And this not seeing clearly has affected our world. Um, so what we're going to do is just take a second look this summer at a bunch of different passages. Um, this summer we're doing Psalms and wisdom literature. So uh, the Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Songs, uh, Ecclesiastes, and we'll see uh, what we've missed there. So there's some good stuff ahead for sure. Uh, today we are going to look at a psalm uh, together, and that is Psalm 37 which if you don't recognize it right away, I think you will in a second when we read the entire psalm together. So um, if you would, if you have your Bible or if you have your computer or your device open, uh, go ahead and pull up Psalm 37, hopefully in the English Standard Version if you have that capacity. Um, it's a fairly long psalm, it's about 40 verses to be exact, so go ahead and settle in and let's read it together. Here we go, Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. And then here's verse four, the verse I'm pretty sure uh, you probably have heard before, mostly because it's ended up on a lot of Christian t-shirts and Christian wall art. Um, verse four is, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. 
The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. There's Psalm 37. I hope it uh, feels encouraging to read that together. I know it is for me, but it definitely deserves a deeper dive. Uh, So here we go. Two clues uh, that are super important to have in the forefront of our minds when exploring the true meaning of this psalm is number one, who wrote it, and number two, when it was written. In the heading of the psalm, we see that the psalm is written by King David, um, one of the most major characters in all of scripture, the beloved and longed for king of Israel. And as far as when it was written, we get a clue in verse 25 um, when David says, I have been old, Uh, I have been young, sorry, and now I am old. So it's pretty clear that this psalm was written near the end of his life. So I believe that in this poem, because it is in fact Hebrew poetry, we have something really special. We have the aged and saged wisdom of one of the most celebrated and respected leaders in biblical history. There's a certain clarity that people, especially wise leaders, get when they're nearing the end of their lives. And here we have David's. And I think we can trust it. And here's why I think we can. If you look at the arc, at the span of the major events in David's earthly life, you will see the journey of a person who faced the whole gamut of human experiences. First, David knew what marginalization felt like. He was the youngest son in his family and grew up thinking that his vocation in life was going to be a shepherd, which in ancient Israel was a profession that was seen as the lowest of the low. And secondly, David knew what it felt like to be a powerful person. He was anointed as Saul's successor um, to the throne and later became the king of Israel. Um, He also, along the way, defeats a giant by the name of Goliath in great courage and fortitude. Um, Which, side note, if you want to look deeper into that story, there's a book by Malcolm Gladwell named David and Goliath, and he really unpacks it in a new and special way, um, as well as a lot of other seemingly underdog victory stories. Thirdly, David knew how it felt to be the recipient of unjust violence and oppression. Because of his great courage that he showed on the battlefield, King Saul tried repeatedly to take his life. He was on the run constantly from that guy in fear that Saul would in fact kill him as he was loudly threatening to do. And fourthly, and maybe most importantly, David knew what it felt like to be the perpetrator of unjust violence and and oppression, to have his actions brought to light, to repent, and in the end, to be transformed. There was a man named Uriah in the book of Samuel 
who was in David's army, and while Uriah is out to battle, David sleeps with his wife. She gets pregnant, and then David's so freaked out that he contorts away for the man to be killed so that he doesn't get in trouble for sleeping with his wife, and David gets caught. The prophet Nathan calls him out, and in that wake, David pens one of the most used portions of scripture in times of repentance, Psalm 51, which states, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. As well as this line, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So when it mattered most, and when push came to shove, David had the chance to run or deny from the injustices conducted by his own hands. But he didn't. David recognized them, repented, and he was made new. David has firsthand knowledge from his own life what it feels like to be humbled, really humbled, and to have that humbling soften you rather than harden you. And I think that many of us, and I'm talking to the white folks in the crowd here, um, are realizing at this moment, maybe for the first time, how white supremacy has permeated our own hearts and our own minds. And waking up to that reality, let's be honest, is a really humbling experience. And I just would encourage all of us, myself included, to not run and hide from that reality, but to instead, like David, make ourselves vulnerable to God's mercy and pray that same prayer, create in me a clean heart, to not be afraid, like Jenna said, to let our hearts be broken by what we have seen and heard and what is coming to light, and to again get to work, get uncomfortable. Because I don't think staying comfortable will create change. It rarely, if ever, does. But I do believe that true repentance, true turning, is a step, just a step in the process that you can't skip over. So I would encourage you to explore that for yourself, white folks. What does repentance look like for you, for us, for me, in this moment in time, and for the days to come? So now let's get into a few of the lost in translation aspects of this psalm. Um, the first, I would argue, also connects to the main message of the poem, which is this, that God is indeed a God of justice, and that the day where justice wins may be long fought for, but it is inevitable. I will say that one more time, that God is indeed a God of justice, and that the day where justice wins Though it may be long fought for, it is inevitable. All, and I mean all of the language of this psalm, when you take a look at the original Hebrew, is about justice. The word translated wickedness is rasha, which means violent deeds of injustice. The word translated for evildoer is ra'ah, which means one who breaks or shatters. And the words righteousness and the righteous are tzaddik and tzedek, which are better translated justice, and just ones. Literally every reference to a human and the activity of that human in this psalm does not, as I always thought while I was growing up, when I would read words like wicked or righteous in the Bible, they don't have to do with the moral behaviors um, or misbehaviors often myomically focused on by Christian evangelical culture, like a person's sexual behavior or whether or not they have signed up for Christianity saying, oh, that person is righteous because they're a Christian. I think that focusing on those things, and this is my opinion, 
has been a huge distraction from the real things we should be focusing on, like loving our neighbor, seeing their value and worth, and working for justice for all. David, in literally every instance here, is saying that across the span of his life, he has seen the divine show up and move on behalf of those who pursue justice, as well as show up to bring a stop to the actions of those who do the opposite, those who commit violent acts of injustice or oppression. Let me just read a couple of these uh, phrases to you again so we can really let them sink in. The first one here might be my favorite. It's verse 13. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. I don't know about you, but I love that image of God watching oppressors make plans and God just laughing at them. The Hebrew word for laugh is sahak, which also means to mock, literally laugh in jest, saying, you just wait. Just wait and see how I will show up on behalf of the ones you are trying to take advantage of. Um, one more, which I think is a great one for us to meditate on in this moment in time, is verse 6. He will bring forth your righteousness, or tzedek, justice, as the light, and your justice, or mishpat, which actually has a judicial connotation to it. It can mean judgment, court case, or cause, as the noonday. So maybe a better translation of that would be, he will bring forth your justice as the light and a just outcome as the noonday. The noonday. Question for you, friends. What do you envision the noonday of justice finally reigning on the earth, rolling like mighty waters, looking like in our world? And can I be honest about a wrestle that I have with this verse? My wrestle is this. Why, if God is a God of justice, has it taken so long for the noonday to come? Why have so many needed to live under so much oppression for so long? Why hasn't God acted sooner? That is something I don't and I may never understand. But my hope, my hope is this, is that this moment in time is indeed a step towards the noonday. And that hundreds of years, the hundreds of years long cry for justice is finally going to result in this instance in just judgments made by those who have the power to change systems of oppression. And I don't know about you, but if that's what God is up to, and I pray, I pray that it is, I wanna be fully seated on that train, showing up, doing the long hard work necessary in order to confront white supremacy, not only in the systems of power in our world, but also in myself. And I believe that as we work for the liberation of our fellow human beings, that we ourselves will also be liberated. That would make for such a beautiful noonday. May it be so. And may we, God's people, stay awake and listen to the admonishment that David gives us twice in this psalm to do good, do tov, which is the Hebrew word for life, that gives life, that gives life. David is definitely not saying that since the day of justice is inevitable, that we are then let off the hook of doing anything. No, the work is ours, friends. 
There's a lot more that we could look at in this translation uh, of this psalm today uh, that's lost in translation. And honestly, each little um, thing is like a fleck of gold uh, beneath the surface of the English translation, which you always find since the nature of Hebrew language is so different from English, um, such as uh, the fact that this poem is an acrostic poem, means that, meaning that each phrase begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So when a Hebrew poet wrote like that, it meant that the message was very intentional. Um, so they chose a figurative format of writing. It gives weight to the message. Also, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is actually a silent letter. It is the letter Aleph, which means breath. So if you were a Hebrew person, you would pause before taking this in and breathe. Something that we in white American culture are realizing that we are not so good at doing. Um, side note, a really good book about this is Resma Manikam's book. Here it is, My Grandmother's Hands. Highly recommend. Um, it offers some good uh, breathing and body practices um, to help us white people get a little more settled into our bodies, especially when we enter into conversations and activities regarding race and racial justice, which are just triggering for us because of the trauma that white supremacy has caused in our own bodies. Um, side note, I'm going to be leading a book study on this guy right here, um, offered to all artists and art enthusiasts. So be on the lookout for that in the Awaken Weekly if you're interested and sign up. <clears throat> and finally, today I'd love to close by looking at what's lost in translation with the token verse of this psalm, or the most well-known one, which is verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Which, after unpacking all that we've unpacked so far about this psalm, it can just seem a little odd that it's even in there, right? Um, here David seems to be consistently talking about justice and injustice, and here he's mentioning delight and the desire of your heart. It can seem out of place for us, I think, because of the way this verse has historically been read and applied by modern Christians. I don't know what this verse has meant to you historically, but uh, for me, it always meant try to find your happiness in God, and then he'll give you what you want, um, like some sort of transaction, which led me to do two things. Number one, put shame on myself for the times that I really had a hard time finding my happiness in God. And then number two, think, th think that the reason I was, get was not getting the stuff that I want is because I wasn't letting God alone make me happy. And there's not a whole lot of life uh, in there for me personally, honestly. But... Let's take a look at the Hebrew again here and see what the verse is really saying. The word translated into English as delight is the word anag, which means to be soft or delicate. And the word translated into English as give is the word natan, which is the word put or place. The first time that word is used in scripture is in the Genesis creation account where God places the stars in the sky. So I think a better translation of this verse would be, make yourself soft and vulnerable to God and he will place desire in your heart, which is so different, right? It's not transactional at all. It's deeply relational. And as we soften our hearts to who God is and the things that God is saying to us, showing to us, teaching to us, 
the true desires of our hearts will become more and more evident. Can I just be honest here for a second? Uh, This verse has been really important to me over the last year as I've been allowing myself to become more aware and just more appreciative of the desires and the longings, the true longings of my heart. I lived uh, for a really long time just kind of numbing those down, um, mostly because of disappointment, but also I think because of Christian culture that made me see that as kind of part of my depraved human self. Um, But what I... I I do believe, I should say, that waking up to those true desires is a good thing. I think it's a holy thing. I think it's a healthy thing. But what I think I missed when engaging with this verse and that process was the real reason that David brings it up here in Psalm 37. I missed the context. David is clearly connecting the desires of our hearts with the greater mission of justice for the oppressed. And I am certain that what he experienced when engaging with Uh, his heart was a desire to see justice prevail. So awaken. Question for you. What are you allowing yourself to be softened to in the way that God is moving and speaking right now? And how is that reflected in the desire of your heart? I think many of us as white believers are wondering where to go next. What do we do next in response to all that we've seen and heard over the last couple of weeks. And I think this verse for many of us would be a good place to start. So my encouragement to you is this, put yourself in spaces and places where you will be softened and then follow your heart's desire. It would be so easy if there was a list of 10 steps of how to engage in racial justice and we could just follow it, check it off the list and say that we did it. But I don't think it's supposed to be that easy for us. And if it was that easy, we would not be transformed. There's a long, messy road ahead, but I truly believe that if we're honest and authentic in the journey of softening our hearts and letting the desires placed there by God lead us into action, into doing good, to doing tov, that change will happen. Of this quote, Love this quote about engaging with the the heart by Carl Jung. It says, Your vision will become clear only when you look into your heart. Who looks outside dreams, who looks inside awakens. So awaken. Two questions, again, for you to consider before we close. Where do you need to place yourself in order to continue to be softened? And upon being softened, what do you want to do about the desires of your heart? Placed there by God, leading you to do good, to do tov, and to bring life. I came across something on Instagram uh, on uh, Monday that I wanted to share with us before we close today, something that really did soften my heart. And I think it'd be a good way for us to continue to be softened together this morning or this evening, whenever you're watching. there's an influencer by the name of Mari Andrew. Uh, her Instagram handle is by Mari Andrew. And on Monday, her post was entitled, Say Their Names, Know Their Stories. Her purpose was to continue to show the humanity of some of the victims of police brutality and to give her followers a glimpse into how these people lived, not just how they died. So as we close today, I'm just gonna read off of her post. And before I do, I would love for you to just take a pause. 
Take a deep breath. Check in with your body. See where you might be feeling tight, constricted, and just notice it. And just try to breathe into those spaces. And after a pause, I'll just read, um, begin to read the list of names and the little glimpses into their lives. And my encouragement to you is this, as we do this, let your heart be softened. Feel, grieve. So we'll pause, we'll take a breath, and then I'll read these names for us. So let's pause together and breathe. Elijah McLean, 23, played the violin for kittens in the pet shop next door on his break. Tatiana Jefferson, 28, taught her nephews how to get ready for school and go down a slide. Botham Jean, 26, a man of great joy. Corinne Gaines, 23, feisty, smart, respectful. Akai Gurley, 28, he liked to look good, but when it came to his mom, he liked to look real good. Michelle Sasso, 50, life of the party. May Hall, 27, a sweet jokester who enjoyed dressing in skirts and kidding around. Rekha Boyd, 22, one of her big wishes was to create a safe space for women. Stefan Clark, 22, volunteered with a youth outreach program. Michael Brown, 18, would follow his pet dog around everywhere. Sandra Bland, 28, quit a corporate job once she became aware the company profited from mass incarceration. Remain Brisbane, 34, wrote letters to his best friend on Lisa Frank paper. India Kager, 28, gentle, soft-spoken guitar player. Betty Jones, 60, church-going grandmother. John Crawford III, 22, favorite TV was the Weather Channel and the History Channel. Laquan McDonald, 17, liked to give everyone a hug. Taisha Miller, 19, a strong athlete. Kaylin Rockmore, 23, helpful friend whose aunt referred to him as the baby. Natasha McKenna, 37, loving, kind, caring. Pamela Turner, 44, made friends quickly. Michael Sabby, 35, stay-at-home dad. Alexia Christian, 26, a wild child. Alteria Woods, 21, loved to laugh. Jamar Clark, 24, liked to swim and fish. Latanya Haggerty, 26, 
kept her friends up to date on the latest developments of Melrose Place. Quintonio Legreer, a straight A student, and Kimani Gray, 16, liked school, but liked sleeping better. Will you pray with me? God, would you indeed soften our hearts to what you are showing us right now? We need now more than ever your guidance, your help, and would you continue to show up in the current fight for justice and rise up on behalf of all those who have been and who are now oppressed. Amen.
We're going to enter into a time of communion. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and blessed it and said, this is my blood shed for you. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been for a long time or ever before, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, not because the church invites you, but because Christ invites you to be known and to be fed here. As you take the bread, receive these words, the body of Christ broken for you. And as you take a drink from the cup, receive these words, the blood of Christ shed for you. Friends, let's hope together, work together for a noonday. Receive these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. www.facebook.com backslash awakening community or on Twitter and awakening community. See you next.